Uh, let's turn now to God's Word, to Titus chapter 3. If you're visiting with us, we are working our way through Titus. We're almost come to the end, and we're going to be read, studying today verse 8 through to verse 11, but we're going to read from verse 1. But here's a, a question for the boys and girls. We're going to be uh, thinking about a subject in a few moments' time, um, and there's a word that I want you to listen out for. It begins with A, and it's something that we can do uh, in our relationships. It's a sin. It's something that we do in our relationships, sometimes in our families, even with our parents or with our brothers and sisters or with our friends. So I want you to th think about that word, a word beginning with A, and it comes towards the end of the reading, and let's hope that you'll be able to pick that out. Let's hear God's Word together. Titus 3 and verse 1. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and to show true humility towards all men. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy." He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, having been justified by His grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law, which these things are unprofitable and useless. Warn a divisive person once and then warn him a second time after that, have nothing to do with him. You may be sure that such a man is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. Please open your Bibles again to Titus chapter 3. Father, we ask now as we come to your Word that you will write this Word on our hearts. We pray this every week because we want to be a people of the Word and we want to honor you by living out your word and being a very distinctive people, a people called to yourself and living for yourself. We bring our prayers to you in Jesus' name. Amen. It's been well noted that in most ways, it's harder to be part of a Reformed and Evangelical church today compared to, say, 30 years ago. Culture has moved, and it's moved fast, and it's moved from any kind of biblical moral truth, and it's 
going to get worse. For instance, church membership used to be a natural thing 30 years. Most people were connected to a church in some shape or form. Now it's kind of a, a weird thing for weird people. The biblical view of marriage used to be normal. Most people accepted it. Now, sadly, it's, um, it's rejected by and large in the community in which we live. Being born again, well, you know, it used to be normal Christian living. Now, if you claim to be born again, you're seen to be part of some far-right extremist group with homophobic attitudes and such like. It's hard to be part of a Reformed and evangelical movement today. And yet, there is one way, one way in which it's much easier to be part of a Reformed and evangelical church these days, and that's being distinctive, being different, standing up and standing out for God. It's much easier to do this because there's fewer doing it. Think about the logic of that. If everybody in society was religious, um, if everybody kind of went to church, if everybody had a kind of a biblical worldview, if everybody turned to God when there was needs, etc., 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 how could we stand out? I mean, how would we stand out? We wouldn't stand out. But because now we are very much a minority in a strange kind of way, it's easier to stand out. It's easier to be distinctive, to be different. And I think one of the things that Paul's trying to teach um, Titus uh, and, and, and us is, is in chapter 3 particularly, is, is that God's people ought to stand out from society. We ought to be different to the way that other people live. We can be distinctively His. We can be separated unto Him. So he's kind of say, saying to us, don't be like the kind of fallen world that is around us. Don't live that way. Particularly, he says that at the beginning of the chapter. Don't be like the old religious world that you used to be part of. Be His. Be His. Be gospel-centered. Be gospel-saturated. Be different. Be different. And it's all possible in Christ and in his gospel. Now, we have noted many times that uh, the Cretan culture was hard. Chapter 1, verse 12, uh, they were described as liars and evil brutes and lazy gluttons. And then in chapter 3, we looked at that a few weeks ago. Look at verse 3. At one time, we too were foolish disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. Seven awful, awful descriptions of fallen culture, which we can see all around us, can we not, in this modern age? And Paul's telling Titus, Titus, you and you teach your people to be different, be distinctive, Notice what he says at the beginning there of, of verse uh, 1 of chapter 3. Remind the people. 
remind the people. That's the way to live. We are to live in a different, distinctive way. And of course, that's what we need to do here. And that's what we need to do often. We need to remind ourselves of what we already know. And so we come and we hear the old, old story and the old, old truths again and again and again and again. Remind the people, he says. We need to be reminded because our memories are bad and because our wills are weak and because our efforts are poor. Now, yes, there are going to be some times when we have the joy of telling someone something that is new to them. In fact, there may be some people here today, you're going to learn something that you haven't learned before. That's good. But most of the time, we repeat what we have already been told and what we need to be constantly reminded of. It's repeat, 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 repeat. Stress, 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 stress. Remind, remind, remind. That's how we are to become distinctive people. So our aim should be to make old truths seem new and stale truths feel fresh. Fresh. And in doing so, we'll be challenged and we'll be equipped to be distinctively different. That's our great need as we live in this fallen, broken world that would want to squeeze us into its mold. So chapter 3, verse 3, that, that awful list of seven things that we used to be like, he says, before we came to Christ, that's what life without Christ looks like. And the cry of the gospel is, hey, be different, be different. Don't live that way. You don't have to live that way. And we as a, as a people here today, we should not fall for the lie of Satan that godless living is easier, that godless living is better because it's not. There's nothing attractive. There's nothing beneficial about sinful living. There's nothing attractive, there's nothing beneficial about a world without the gospel. All you've got to do is look around at what's going on in our world. I mean, it's a sin-sick, broken place, and it's getting worse, isn't it? It makes you sick sometimes to see what's going on, how our children are being affected and young people are being affected. There's nothing attractive or beneficial from that. So we are called to be different. We are called to be distinctive, and that's what we to remind ourselves of again and again and again. We need to be reminded that rebellion against God is stupid. It's pointless. It destroys self. It destroys community. It's slavery in its worst possible form. Sin, you see, cannot satisfy. It cannot. Sin cannot bring security. Sin cannot deliver wholeness. And we have the choice, therefore, as God's people, either be distinctive or, or, or simply just slide into the hopeless, graceless, empty way of living. That's the choice that's constantly before us. 
And of course, in verses four to seven, uh, we see how we can be distinctive and how we can be different because the gospel intervenes in our lives in a, a very powerful and a very dramatic way. And we, we looked at that last week. The big idea, of course, from verse five, the point that Jeff made again and again was he saved us. Isn't that a tremendous uh, expression? Verse five, he saved us, not because of righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. To be his, to be different, to be useful in his mission, we need to be saved. And, and look at the metaphors mentioned there, washing, rebirth, heirs of eternal life. That's why and how we can be different. And so this glorious message and experience of salvation changes everything. Absolutely everything. It changes the way we view life, how we view politics, how we view our plans for our futures, how we spend our money, how we parent. It affects everything. See, being different matters. There are no easy or instant answers in the maturity of a Christian or the maturity of a church. There are no easy, cheap answers. It's painstakingly different and difficult, and it requires lots of time and truth and grace and effort, but it's worth it. Being distinctive, that's the key. Being different, that should be our aim. Let's be honest. What saps us of our spiritual energy? I mean, what kills our effectiveness? What steals our peace? What causes trouble inside our own heads and in our relationships and even within the church? It's when we live like the world. When we live like the world, that's what happens. Spiritual energy, none of it. Effectiveness killed, peace gone, trouble in our heads, in our relationships is pandemic. When we live like the world, but when we live in the gospel, it's different because we're different. All it takes, in a sense, is one sin of dozens and dozens of sins that we could commit. All it takes is one to make us ineffective and unproductive. We just ignore the teaching on one particular subject, or we become proud, or, 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 or we, we follow man-made traditions, or, or we, we lose our freedom in Christ, or, or we're not dependent on the Spirit of God, or we're impure in thought. All it takes is just one of those things, of multitudes, to make us ineffective and unproductive. And as one writer says, we end up, as a church, becoming like a, an empty cardboard box. We become like a, a crumpled up envelope. We become like a deflated balloon. <clears throat> Useless, ineffective, and unproductive. So, do we want to be different? Do we want to be distinctive in this fallen, broken world? Well, I hope the answer is yes. I'm taking it as yes. Well, then here are the four things that we must do. The first one is stressing the salvation message that we touched on briefly last week, but we're going to uh, stress it again because we're told to keep stressing it. So that's what we're going to do. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things. 
so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. Stress these things. We must never tire as individuals or as a church of telling and retelling and telling again God's redemptive plan for His people. Now, you'll notice here that little phrase, this is a trustworthy saying. Um, This is um, something that Paul wrote in the pastoral epistles on five occasions. This is the only time we have it in Titus. In other words, it's sit up, listen, take note, obey. This is really important. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things. And what are the things that he's been referring to? Well, verse 5, he saved us. All of us in general, I mean all of us in general, but particularly those who preach and teach and lead are to stress these things and we're to keep stressing these things. We're to constantly affirm or affirm constantly as I put it there. That's what that word stress means. We don't stop speaking of salvation in Jesus Christ and in his gospel. We never tire of doing this. That's how we are different. That's how we're different and distinctive. We're to speak of the time and eternity changing power of Jesus Christ. Can I tell you that if I didn't keep stressing these things, my job as a preacher would be dull and dry and bland and boring. Now, you might think I am dull and dry and bland and boring, but what if I didn't stress these things? How much more would I be dull and dry? I mean, yesterday, the only joy I had in burying a friend of 30 years was that I had the joy of stressing these things. In other words, sharing the good news of the gospel. It's the only joy I had in the midst of burying John. I wonder, is your walk with Jesus Christ perhaps a little bit dull and a little bit dry these days? Maybe it's got very boring and bland. Well, maybe it's because you are not active in sharing your faith and stressing these things. You've lost that evangelistic emphasis. You see, each time we share the good news of Jesus Christ, we're being different from the world, yes, but also we were remembering his saving work in our own lives. Even me saying this increases within my own heart a joy and a confidence. But if we keep the message to ourselves, if we never share the gospel with others, if we never even think about it, can I assure you, your faith becomes dull and dry and bland and boring. You see, we glorify God. We sang that beautiful song at the beginning of the service. We, we glorify God in what we believe and how we behave and 
in how we evangelize the lost. In a broken, fallen, sinful world, we stand out when we share the good news of Jesus. That's how we do it, friends. It's not cheap, it's not easy, but it's possible. Secondly, it's doing what is good, verse 8b. That's how we are different. Stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. You see, when we receive grace, we should do good. When we're right with God, we do right for God. When we receive the act of salvation, we do acts of service. One leads to the other. That's how we're different. That's how we're distinctive. So truth fills our heads, changes our hearts, and leads to good actions. Now, the good actions don't save us. We're saved to do good actions. But we're supposed to do what is good. It's not natural. Do you know what's natural? It's to be selfish, to, to be lazy, to, to steal from God. It's not easy doing what is good. That's why we need to be careful. You notice what he says there? So that those who have trusted in God, in other words, those who are saved, may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. The, the word careful there means to ponder, to consider carefully. And we, and we need to ask God to help us do that. So, so ask God right now, ask him to help us, to help you to ponder, to plan, and then to perform acts of goodness. That's how we are distinctive in a world full of badness and evil. And you notice the two words, how it's described there, it's excellent, it's beautiful, it's honorable, it's precious. It's profitable, it means it results in blessing. And as for everyone, these things are excellent and profitable for everyone. That's how we can be different. Here's another one. Avoiding distracting arguments, verse 9. But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law because they're unprofitable and useless. So as a leader, uh, Titus was to personally avoid distracting arguments, and he was to instruct the members of the church to do the same. The word avoid there is is an imperative. It means it's a command. It's not a suggestion. And this is how we can be different, because we live in a world that's full of argumentative people, angry people. I mean, listen to what's going on in, in politics. Uh, it's, it's in the sports world. It's, sadly, it's in the church too, isn't it? Argumentative people. Verse 9 is, is hard for us to understand, yes. These controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law. But let's try to understand because what, what was happening is that some people... Uh, took some facts from the Old Testament and added all kinds of other stuff to it to create fanciful theories and myths. So theology was replaced by mythology. God's Word was replaced by 
man's ideas. And what we, what we seem to be seeing here is a group of people who could spin a yarn. And for, for yarn to be spun, you needed some threads. So they, they would have some threads of truth, and then some threads of lies, and then they spun it, and they ended up with verse 9, arguments and quarrels about the law. Now, today, it's the same. It's the same in the so-called Christian world, uh, with people looking for Bible codes and um, overemphasizing aspects of the Old Testament law so that certain things are still unclean. These kind of things, they still happen. They're very often regarded as being cranks and eccentrics, um, and we should do well to stay clear of them. But unfortunately, do we not know that evangelicals um, do similar things where we undertake long and hot debates about minutia of theology? And as verse 9 tells us, it's unprofitable and it's useless. It's distracting. Distracting from the, the real and important issues, from the main things, which are the plain things. So evangelicals argue about spiritual gifts and end times and baptism and Sabbath observance and the link between faith and politics. And in the meantime, multitudes are dying without Christ because He has not saved them, as verse 5 tells us. And some you know, can argue about politics, whether we should be on the left or on the right or in the middle, whether we should be orange or green or a bit of both. But often those same people will rarely talk to an unbeliever about their sin and their need of a Savior. So they spend their times just involved in distracting arguments, and people are going to hell. And many churches and ministries and leaders cease to be useful in evangelism and witness because they become experts in arguing. They always seem to be trying to put out fires caused by people who have caused distracting arguments, who seem to love being involved in distracting arguments. So don't be distracted, I say to you. If you want to be different from the world that's full of distracting arguments, don't be. Don't be distracted, and don't be a distractor. Don't be a distractor. What do we need? We need clear, lucid, direct, uncluttered, uncomplicated message of the gospel. That's how we stand out. That's what we're supposed to do. And lastly, we've got to warn the vice of people, verse 11 and 12. Warn the device of person once and then warn him a second time. After that, have nothing to do with him. You may be sure that such a man is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. The device of person should be warned and dealt with if necessary. A device of person is one who puts his own opinion before God and before the Word of God and before the leaders that God has put in place. Now, what happens is we can be intimidated by them. Um, uh, we can try and ignore them. We can try and tolerate them uh, and their words and their actions. And actually, the Bible's very clear about what we should do. I came across uh, Brian Chappell's in his commentary. This is what he wrote. 
A person who loves the peace and purity of the church may be forced into division, but it is not his character. He enters arguments regrettably and infrequently. When forced to argue, he remains fair, truthful, and loving in his responses. He, grie- sorry, he grieves to have to disagree with a brother. Ah, but those who are divisive, by nature, lust for the fray, incite its onset, and delight in being able to conquer another person. For them, victory means everything. So in an argument, they twist words, call names, threaten, manipulate procedures, and attempt to extend the debate as long as possible and along as many fronts as possible. Divisive persons frequent the debates of the church. As a result, the same voices and personalities tend to appear over and over again, even though the issues change. Paul's words caution us about the seriousness of being divisive. Though ego or entertainment may be served by argument, such engagement damages the church and should be avoided unless absolutely necessary. A long quote, but I couldn't say it any better than that. Warn, by the way, is not a threatening word. I say it's an encouraging word. It's an instructing word. The purpose of warning is is not removal, but restoration. We We don't shoot our wounded, as we often say, but we seek restoration. And from a sense of love and patience, the desire is to unite, not divide. Warn or encourage a divisive person once. And we warn a second time. But if there's no repentance, look what we're told today. We're to remove them from the privilege of fellowship. Unloving? No. It is very loving. It would be unloving to let them continue in that state. Warn a divisive person once, then warn them a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them. And the reason, by the way, is given in verse 11. You may be sure that such a man is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. The reason that such a person cannot repent is because they're not saved. They're self-condemned. They are warped. They are sinful. You see, a twisted heart can only be untwisted by the grace of God. And by the conviction of the Holy Spirit, our prayer is that such a person might come to repentance. Warn the divisive person once, then warn him a second time. After that, have nothing to do with him. You may be sure that such a man is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. Our hope and our prayer is that we might be distinctive. How do we do that in a world that's squeezing us constantly and telling us we should be like it? How do we do this 
in a time when it's hard to be a Christian. It's hard to be a Christian church. It's hard doing the right thing in the right way. How do we do it? By stressing the salvation message again and again and again. By doing what is good so that we stand out in a world full of so much badness. It's avoiding distracting arguments in a world that just wants to argue and fight and quarrel. And it's about warning this divisive people so that they will repent and become united with all the other believers in the work of the gospel. There are four ways in which we can be distinctive, that we can be different, that we can stand out from the world. And guaranteed that if we do this, we will be more effective. The worst thing is that we can be just like the world and following the pathway that the world has set out. May God help us to do that. Let me pray for us. Father, we ask that in um, this generation and in a hard, barren world that we might stand out for you and really commit ourselves to you and to your glory. So we, may we be individually and as families and as a church stressing the salvation message, doing what is good, avoiding distracting arguments and warning decisive people for the health of ourselves and for our effectiveness as a church. We, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.